You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Well, would you join with me in prayer as we open the word of God and hear it uh, explained this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is beautiful. And this morning as we hear from it, would you speak to us through your Holy Spirit? Lord, would your glory shine brighter as a result of our worship of you this morning? Amen. Well, many, many years ago, uh, when I was in high school, uh, in year 11 and 12, I did subject English literature. And uh, we studied poems, we studied novels, and we studied plays, and we'd have to write essays about them. I'm sure it's still the same today if you study English literature in uh, senior high school. I'm getting a nod. So yes, yes, I'm getting several nods. And one of the uh, tools that we were taught was compare and contrast. So say, for example, we'd have two poems and around the same theme, and we'd have to compare and contrast these poems or two characters in a novel, and we'd have to compare and contrast these two characters. Well, we've got two characters in the parable this morning, and these are tailor-made for a compare and contrast. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to compare and contrast the Pharisee with the tax collector. And the comparison is actually quite easy uh, because there's not a lot to compare between them. Uh, They both go and pray. Uh, They both pray in the temple, and they both address their prayer to God. And that's pretty much all that's comparable between them. Uh, But the contrast between them is huge. And so we're actually going to spend this morning contrasting the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the theme we're going to look at is who's at the centre of your prayer. Who's at the centre of your prayer looking at the Pharisee and the tax collector. So first of all, let's look at the Pharisee. Now, if, if this was a, a pantomime performance, it's not, but imagine it was, every time I say Pharisee, you would say, boo, all right? So Pharisee, all right? Because as we can tell from the story, the Pharisee is the one who you don't want to be like. 
Why is that? Well, Jesus addresses this parable to a certain group of people. In verse 9, he outlines who he addresses this parable to. So they are people who they've got a really high view of themselves, particularly that they are really, really holy. They are holier, they are better than anyone else. In in the uh, children's talk that Daniel gave, they would be people who would go, I always hit the target. I never miss. And, And because they think that they are so holy, they actually think that they're good enough for God. Because they always hit the target, God will look at them and go, yeah, you're good enough. You've done enough. And because of that, they look down on everyone else because no one else is quite as holy as I am. And so that's who the Pharisees are. That's who Jesus addresses this parable to because, you see, the Pharisees, they thought that they were good and that they were really good at being good and they wanted everyone to know it. And so they went around making sure that everyone could see how good they are at being good. And they actually wanted everyone to acknowledge them for it. You see, the Pharisee in this story, he's more concerned with his own self-image than he is with the glory of God. You you see it in in everything. He comes in, it says in verse 10, uh, uh, yeah, verse 11, sorry, the Pharisee stood by himself. So he's standing somewhere where he can be looked at and everyone can go, wow, look at that Pharisee over there praying. Isn't he good at being good? And and then he prays. And and let me paraphrase his prayer for you. This, This is roughly what his prayer is. God, thank you for making me so good at being good. I really am quite good at it. If everyone was just like me and not like that scumbag over there, well, the world would be a better place. God, you can be quite proud of me. You see, at the centre of his prayer is God isn't at the centre, but he himself is at the centre of his prayer. In fact, you can't even call what he says a prayer. It is all about me and nothing about God. So the next person to come along is the tax collector. Now, tax collectors were considered the scum of the earth in those days. You see, tax collectors, and if you've been around church for a while, you probably know this, the tax collectors, they collected taxes for the Romans, and the Romans were the occupying force of Israel in the day. So tax collectors were hated by the Israelites. In fact, you see it in what the Pharisee says in this parable, because Tax collectors are mentioned in the same breath as robbers, evildoers, and adulterers. And that's what they thought of tax collectors. And so this tax collector comes in and he prays as well. And we read that he stands at a distance. He doesn't want to be noticed. You you almost get the idea that he kind of sneaks in to the temple. See, the temple is the house of prayer. So he wants to come to pray. But the temple is symbolic of the very presence of God. This is where God dwelt. Well, not 
physically, but the symbol of the dwelling of God. And so he is approaching a holy God, and you almost get the idea that he, he knows that he's not worthy, that he doesn't actually deserve to come into the presence of God. And so that he kind of just sneaks in and stands off to the side to say, his prayer, his posture demonstrates this humility. He doesn't even look up to heaven, we read, but he beats his breast. There's just a, a total humility about everything that he does and his posture. What a contrast to the Pharisee, the Pharisee who thinks he's good enough to come to God, who thinks I hit the target every single time and the tax collector who knows that he misses every single time. He knows that this, this thing the Bible calls sin is like dirt and filth on him and that God is a holy God. There is no dirt or filth on him. And so how can he approach this holy God? So I understand last week you had an illustration about cats, so this week, I'm going to give you an illustration about dogs. And uh, we have a dog called Jasper, and uh, just putting it out there, he's the cutest dog in the world. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so afterwards, you're all going to come and show me your dog photos and show that your dog is cuter than my dog. But please don't remember that my dog is cute. Please remember what I'm going to tell you and illustrate through our dog Jasper. So Jasper is a white Maltese Shih Tzu, and Jasper has a friend called Milo. And uh, this is about a year and a half ago, uh, Milo's owners went away for some time and so we looked after Milo while they were away. And I, I must have been home alone by myself and Milo and Jasper were having far too much fun inside and being a bit, you know, too rough. So I'm like, right, out in the garden with you. And so I sent them out into the backyard. Now, um, it was in winter, it wasn't raining when I sent them outside, but it had been raining and so the grass was wet. Um, and while we've got grass, it was wet grass. And about an hour later, I came outside to, you know, they've got rid of their energy and I could let them back inside. Except after an hour of playing rough and tumble on wet grass, our white Maltese Shih Tzu was no longer white, but was covered in dirt and filth. And Milo is black, but I knew that Milo was also covered in dirt and filth. So here were two dogs covered in dirt and filth, and the inside of my house is clean. So if I let Jasper and Milo into my house, they were going to sit on my couch and make my clean couch dirty. They were going to lie on my bed and make my clean, our, sorry, our clean bed sheets dirty, right? And so the only way that Milo and Jasper, dirty, filthy, could come into a clean house is if they were washed. The only way you and I can approach a holy God is if the dirt and filth of our sin is washed away. And the tax collector knows this. And his prayer is just such a beautiful prayer. God, have mercy on me, a sinner.
And the prayer is so beautiful because God is at the centre of it. And this prayer acknowledges that. It says, God, I'm not worthy to stand before you. And at the same time, this prayer honours God because it says, God, you are the only one who can make me worthy. You see, the Pharisee thought that if he was good at being good, he could approach God. Well, the tax collector knows that no matter how hard he tries, he will never, ever be good enough. He needs help. And God is willing and able to give that help, to wash away the dirt and filth of sin. So that's the two people who went up to pray. One of them only has himself at the centre. The other one has God at the centre of his prayer. And so how can we develop a habit to pray like the tax collector? How can we make sure that we have God at the centre of our prayer and not ourselves? So we're going to consider two things. Uh, There's no doubt many, many more things that we can do. But from this passage, we're going to consider two things. First of all, to have an attitude, to have a heart that says, I can't, but God can. I can't, but God can. How, how good is that, by the way? How, how wonderful is that news that I can't, but God can? It really is the best news you will ever hear. And the tax collector shows this. His choice of words, his posture, his attitude, everything about the tax collector shows that in his heart, He knows that he can't, but God can. He knew he wasn't good enough. He knew that God would accept him, not because of what he did, but because of what God has done. He knew that he missed the mark every time. He knew that he didn't love God with his whole heart, soul, mind and strength the way he should, that he didn't love his neighbour as himself to the extent that he should. But he also knows that God is merciful to people like him. We've already heard it in the children's talk, that absolutely wonderful verse from 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Uh, Psalm 103, an absolutely gorgeous psalm. It starts like this, praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. And then what's the first benefit it lists? Verse 3, who forgives all your sins. Later in the psalm it says it takes, he takes your sins away from you as far as the east is from the west. In other words, they separated from you forever. And so this really, really is good news. You don't have to be good at being good. God demands perfection. And if you're honest, you'll realise you don't match up. 
And the reality is that you can't, but God can, and God did. Hear these beautiful words from Galatians chapter 2 at verse 16. Know that a person is not justified, i.e. their sins forgiven, by the works of the law or by trying hard at being good, but by faith in Jesus Christ. You see, it's not about trying. It's about trusting. So at the end of last year, I had the joy, I mentioned this earlier, of taking a group of school leavers to South Asia. And for roughly two weeks, we spent time in this country sharing the gospel with people that we met. And on one of the days, we went, um, so in the city where we were, there's a particular part of the city where there's a lot of Buddhists living in that part of the city. And so we went into that part of the city with the intention of reaching these Buddhists with the gospel, sharing the gospel with them. And so um, after a bit of a briefing of what we might expect and what we should do and what we shouldn't do, uh, we set off. And the very first thing we did is we, uh, we had a prayer walk where we prayed to God uh, around the Buddhist temple. And I say specifically to God because the Buddhists walk around this same temple and they say their prayers. Um, now, this temple is actually a temple complex. If you speed walk, it takes you about 20 minutes to walk around it. So it's large. And um, if you're familiar with Buddhism, you know they've got the prayer wheels. And so these people walk around and they spin the prayer wheels, which is their equivalent to praying, or they'll have beads uh, and they walk around saying their prayers or it's their mantras. I can't remember the words that they say, but it's basically the same words spoken over and over again. And every time they say it, they click a bead across. And if they do this, it, it, it puts uh, weight or it puts things on, on the good balance. And, and most of the people that were walking around were, were elderly. Um, and it was explained to us, I mean, partly it's practical because the younger generation have to r- rush off to work. But they also said elderly people, uh, humanly speaking, are closer to the end of life. So they're thinking about what comes next. And in Buddhism, uh, what comes next really depends on what you've done in this life and is the good better, have you done more good than bad? And so these people, in, in the hope of putting a little bit more weight on the good side, do lots of good things, and one of the good things is walking around this temple praying. And, and one of the group with us commented on, on, on how sad this really is. He's like, don't they know that there's this good news that you don't have to be good at being good, that you have to, that you just have to trust in Jesus Christ, and He's done it all for us. And and this news that we have, it, when you contrast it to other religions, the gospel is so so beautiful. No matter how hard you try, you will never be good enough. You can't be good enough. But God can and God is. And so if you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive mercy, just like this tax collector received mercy because he trusted in Jesus. Now, if you will allow me a tangent at this point in time, um, This is the only tangent in the sermon. That's okay. But this news of the gospel, 
Like it really is good news. Like, like think about it. It's God is so incredibly good that, that even though we don't measure up, even though we have all this filth and this dirt of sin that prevents us from approaching a holy God, God says, I know you can't wash yourself. Just like my dogs or my dog and a friend's dog could never ever hope to wash themselves of their dirt. They needed help. We can never ever hope to wash ourselves of this dirt and filth of sin. We can never hope to hit the target. And God says, that's okay. I've done it for you. And this really, really is good news. So back to South Asia. It's Thursday, the 1st of December. We were in a rural part of the country and we were going from house to house sharing the gospel. So on this particular morning, the first house we came to, uh, he invited us to sit down and have some tea. Uh, pretty much every house invited us to sit and have tea. Uh, my record was six cups of tea in one day. And um, so, uh, so we sat down, had a cup of tea, and we got chatting, and he found out we were from Australia. The very next thing he said was, congratulations, you've made it through to the next round of the World Cup. Now, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, last November, December, 32 nations went to Qatar, or the soccer teams of 32 nations went to Qatar and uh, fought out who's the best soccer team in the world. Australia was one of the 32, so they kind of have this round robin, and then the 16 teams go through to the knockout stages. And uh, Australia was one of those 16 teams. It's only the second time in our history that our team has been through to that stage of the World Cup. So really, if you're from Australia and you're a soccer fan, this is good news. And it made me think. This, this man had some good news. I'm an Australian. Here is good news for Australians. Now, he didn't have to drag this, I didn't have to drag this good news out of him. I didn't have to say to him, oh, do you know what happened in the World Cup? The moment he found out I was Australian, he told me good news for Australians. The gospel is good news for sinners. And everyone you meet will be a sinner. So we shouldn't have to drag the gospel out of you to say, please share it with someone. Because the gospel is good news. It should just come out of you. Now, I'm not suggesting that after church is over, that you go up to a random stranger that you meet and say, hey, you're a sinner, but that's all right, I've got good news for you. Here's the gospel. I'm not suggesting that as an evangelism strategy. However, the more you know the gospel and how good this news is, and like it is the best news you will ever, ever hear, and how wonderful God is and how rich his mercy is, the more that sinks into your heart and the more that fills you, the more you'll want to tell other people about it. And there are so many people around the world who are yet to hear this good news. No one's ever told them about it. Like these people walking around the temple in the city in South Asia. We're going to unpack that a little bit more over lunch. There we go. Shameless plug for you to come along to lunch and join us.
So this tax collector, he knew that God was good. He knew that it wasn't his goodness, but that actually he was unworthy. See, this this tax collector, just let me hammer this point home. This tax collector is not saying, his prayer is not, God, I've been really good. I've tried really, really hard. I know I'm still not good enough, but I've tried really, really hard, so please be merciful. No, this tax collector is saying, God, even the best thing I do is going to miss the target, but I know that you're merciful. We've seen that already from the 1 John 1, 9 and Psalm 103 and many other texts. So that's the first point. You can't, but God can. So the second point, what's the second way from this text that we can glorify God in our prayer as opposed to ourselves? Well, the second one is that it's not about the length of your prayer. You see, the tax collector, or sorry, the Pharisee's prayer is about five times as long on a word count as the tax collector's prayer. And so it's not how long you pray for. The the reality is none of us will ever pray long enough because none of us can ever be good enough for God. None of us will ever pray enough to satisfy God, to, to reach that level of perfection. But God doesn't sit there with a stopwatch and go, oh, only eight minutes and 30 seconds today. Oh, I wish he'd gone for about 14 instead. No, God doesn't measure how long we pray for. God measures the depth, the intensity, our heart. That's what he's looking for, a heart that prays like this tax collector, a heart that says, God, I can't, but you can, because in prayer that's what we're saying. We're saying, I can't do any of this, God. That's why I'm asking you. And that's what God is looking for. So in your prayer life, work out what works best for you. And and for some people that will be getting up at 5 a.m. Praise God for those people, but I'm not one of them. And for other people, it will be sitting by yourself in a room and praying. But for others of you, you're like, if I do that, I fall asleep in my chair or my thoughts go off in a hundred other directions. It's fine. Then don't pray by yourself in a room sitting on your chair. Pray while you're going for a walk or pray on your commute or or gather two or three friends together and pray with two or three friends regularly. But work out what works for you. What's the best way that you can pray? And then pray. So who's at the centre of your prayers? Are you like the Pharisee? that you are at the centre of your own prayers? Well, if you are, then pray the prayer of the tax collector and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so we're going to pray today to conclude our service. We're going to pray the prayer that the tax collector prayed. If you want to adopt a particular posture to express uh, your um, your heart before God, then you can do so. So let's pray the prayer of the tax collector. God, 
Have mercy on me, a sinner. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.